0: Amen. Thank you guys for uh, being here today. Um, If you hadn't had a chance to meet me yet, my name is Matt Briggs and I'm the family pastor here and it's uh, really exciting and it's awesome to get the opportunity to come and teach uh, for you guys today. So if you've been here the last few weeks, um, you've, uh, David kind of introduced us earlier, but if you've been here the last few weeks, um, we've been talking about the, the disciples' discovery process of who Jesus is. They're walking through Trying to figure out who Jesus is, they've discovered him as teacher, as prophet. And last week, through the feeding of the thousands and the healing of the blind man, they're finally coming to the realization that Jesus is truly the Messiah, that Jesus truly is the one they've been waiting for, that Jesus is the one that the prophecies had foretold. And so, as we get to this point in this series, we think, man, Disciples finally have it figured out, like they're finally on the right track, they're finally where they need to be, they're, they're finally going to just blindly follow Jesus, they're finally going to step out and do what God has called them to do. But uh, as you already know, that's not really the case, and they've still got so much going on and so much to work through in their relationship with Jesus that they're walking with. So let's read a little bit in our uh, passage today, we're going to begin in Mark 8, uh, verses 31 Okay, so you remember at the end of last week's sermon, Peter talks about, he says, yes, you are the Messiah. You are the one that has come. You're the one that's fulfillment of prophecy. And then just like three verses later, Peter's like, Never mind, I'm going to rebuke you now. Like, it's like, and it's totally not surprising for Peter, if you know Peter's character, if you've ever studied the Bible and studied who Peter was and what his personality was like. This was not an uncommon thing for him to kind of spout off at the mouth. It's crazy to me. So so one moment you're saying, yes, Jesus, I believe that you're the Messiah. And in the next moment, Jesus tells you something that you don't like, and so you automatically rebuke him. That's crazy to me. But here's the thing. He and the disciples had an expectation problem. They, they were not getting what they were expecting. No one, especially not them, thought that Jesus would die. So when he talked about dying, this was a huge problem for them. Like the death to them implied weakness. You know, they thought they were going to have a great military leader come. And so this death implied weakness. This death implied losing. This death... And this Messiah, were supposed to be mutually exclusive. You could be the Messiah or you could die, but not both. And so they, they in one moment, they in one sense think, yes, he's the Messiah. And in the next moment, he says, but I'm going to die and be, rose, be risen again. And they're like, those two statements don't make sense to us. And Peter just speaks for the group when he says that. They thought the Messiah, as David talked about last week, was going to be a conquering king. They had put all these false expectations on what they thought the prophecy said and who they thought the Messiah was going to be, and that he was going to come and he was going to restore the earthly kingdom of David. And here's one of the things that was cool to me as I was studying this. Like, it's when you think about the disciples and you think about all they had studied. And they had been in the synagogues, they'd been in the church, and the Pharisees had been that way. The Pharisees had been known the law their whole life, okay? And so when we look at the Old Testament, we know that in the Old Testament, there are tons and tons and tons of prophecies that talk about Jesus. And they talk about who Jesus is going to be. They talk about how he's going to suffer. They talk about how he's going to die and how he's going to rise again. Like, we see that all throughout the scriptures. So my whole life, until genuinely, probably the last couple of weeks, I thought, how could they not connect the dots on this? Like, why were they so surprised by this thought of death? Why were they so surprised about this idea of a, of a Jesus, of a Messiah that would come and serve and die? Why was this so surprising to them? And I'm going to get into that in just a moment. But first of all, I want to read one of these Old Testament prophecies that clearly shows um, the Messiah that he that he's going to be. That's a clear messianic prophecy. And this would have been one they would have all been very familiar with. And And I'm going to read it in its entirety. And uh, And what's cool about the scripture is like when we read the scripture, like sometimes the things that I say may not be right or may not be perfect. But when I read the word of God, I know that it is perfect and it's living. And active. So when we read the scripture together, this is a time where we can know that God is speaking and what, what God wants us to hear is being said. So let's listen here for Isaiah 53. We're going to read, read it in its entirety. Who has believed our message and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root coming out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor with any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Okay so when we read this passage we have all of your church history and all that you know and all the times you've attended church and all the times you read this like it's super clear to us that this passage is talking about Jesus because we know the rest of the story right we know what happens next but what's crazy to me that I didn't know is that Nowhere before the New Testament was the suffering servant identified as the Messiah. Those two things were not connected. There was no interpretation of that. And so when they read Isaiah 53, they didn't know what it was talking about or they interpreted it in a different way. To them, that passage was not necessarily talking about the Messiah, nor were any of the other Old Testament prophecies that depicted a suffering servant. They were able to kind of pick and choose the the ones that fit the Messiah that they thought was coming. And so... When, so it's important for us to realize that and realize that they didn't understand what all Jesus was and who he was meant to be. And so when Jesus tells them this, like their frustration should be understood. Like their frustration should be or their bewilderment or their confusion should be something that we can understand because they just the scripture was just not interpreted that way in that time yet. And this is important for us to know as we move forward especially as we consider the title we're going to look at today, the title that Jesus gave himself, the Son of Man. And that's what he calls himself in that first passage of scripture we read a minute ago. And this was like a really generic term for man. This was not, Son of Man had no spiritual hint to it. It was really just a phrase that they used, a really common word. And so he likely used it because the word Messiah, the one that they had associated with Messiah, the one that they grew up with, that word Messiah had so much Baggage, if you will, like they, they had all these expectations tied to it. They thought that the Messiah was going to come and be a conquering king and restore David's kingdom. And so Jesus doesn't use the word Messiah to describe Himself here because He wants to give them a clear picture of what He's going to do and who He's going to be. And so He takes this generic word, this generic phrase, "Son of Man," and He—it's an empty slate, and He can come and He can fill the context and He can give the definition and He can say who He's going to be without getting them all riled up that he is the conquering king messiah does that make sense all right let's keep moving and um we're going to talk through a main passage today in mark chapter nine and in this passage i think it very clearly defines what jesus is trying to do and what jesus is trying to say and the journey the disciples are on in trying to figure out who jesus is as the son of man so we're going to kind of walk through kind of verse by verse ish through mark chapter nine um, and we're going to begin in verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. Love when Jesus asked questions. The man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who's possessed by a spirit who has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So we see Jesus here walking up on a crowd. He's just left the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. They've just had this incredible moment with Jesus. And they saw Moses and Elijah, and they come down, and the rest of the disciples are here trying to cast out this demon, and they're not having a whole lot of luck. And as Jesus shows up, as happened all the time, a crowd starts to form. Anytime Jesus showed up somewhere, there were crowds that began to form. And those crowds like were some mix of, of curious. And they, they're coming in to see, what is Jesus going to do? How is he going to handle this demon-possessed boy? How is he going to handle his disciples? How is he going to handle all that's going on around him? Let's keep moving through the passage. Verse 19, you unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So it's easy to read a tinge of disappointment here with the disciples here for not being able to cast out the demon. And we'll kind of see why in a minute. Even after all they experienced, they still had not fully believed who Jesus was. They had not fully believed in the power that they had seen in him. And you know, like, it's easy to look at the disciples and think, man, they just... They just stink, man. Like they just can't figure this out. Like they have seen over and over and over again, God feed the 5,000. They've seen this son of God, this Messiah. They've seen him heal the sick, raise the dead. They've seen this over and over and over again. And yet they still don't get it. They still don't have enough faith to believe. But isn't that true of us like very often in our lives that we look like Jesus has done so much For us, We forget all the things he's done. We forget all the times he moved and worked. And we live in such a way even sometimes that we forget what he's done for us in salvation. We forget that work he did for us on the cross. But here's the cool thing. And this is how Jesus is going to work in the disciples in a second. But Jesus doesn't leave us there in that forgetfulness. He doesn't leave us there in that disappointment. Because of his great love for us, he brings us along, helps us remember, and draws us closer to him. And this is what he's going to do with his disciples here. Let's keep moving through this passage. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, the evil spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us. And help us, like I said a minute ago, it's always cool when Jesus asks questions like this one because so we know that Jesus is the Messiah and we know that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And so we know in the scriptures that anytime that Jesus asks a question, he's not asking the question to find information, like he knows the answer to the question, he's asking the question for the hearers, he's asking the questions for the people around him. There's a purpose in every question Jesus asks. And I think that one of the reasons that he does that, one of the reasons he asks questions is a mark of his humanity because he, we ask questions all the time. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't walk up on a guy convulsing on the ground and be like, oh, this is normal. Like you'd walk up and say, what's going on here? And so Jesus in his humanity here as the son of man says, I'm going to be here with you in this moment. I'm going to walk humanly with you into this moment out of genuine love and concern for his fellow man. And remember, this dad that's brought this son is just part of the crowd. He hasn't been following Jesus. He just has heard about him, and he knows that he's heard rumors of all these things that he's done. And so he just figures it's worth a shot. He just figures that might as well give it a try. It's a last-ditch effort. It's a moment of desperation for the father. And so he says, if you can do anything, please help my son. Let's see Jesus' response to the father here in verses 23 and 24. If you can, says Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I think this unbelief in this man's heart is that he recognized is something that the disciples were definitely experiencing in this moment. So remember, the disciples are here listening, too. The crowd is here listening, too. So when Jesus says to the man, when he says this to the man about his unbelief, he's also saying this to his disciples they still had so much doubt about Jesus. They didn't believe the prophecies about his death and resurrection. They didn't believe in the full extent of his power. As he's telling the father to believe, so he is speaking to disciples, telling them to believe. In everything he had been telling them about being the son of man, the suffering servant who pays the ransom of the world. He's saying, you can believe me. I don't know how many times I have to say this, but you can believe me. Lay your expectations down. Lay your preconceived notions down and just believe me. And I love the Father's response to Jesus here. Like Jesus is saying this. He's saying this about just believe. Anything is possible if you believe in what I've said. If you believe my words, you believe in who I am. And so remember, Jesus is saying this, not just to the the man, but to the disciples. And so I love the father's response here. I love, I love it. He says, okay, help me with my unbelief. Like it's crazy to me that immediately he believed what Jesus said and said, okay, help me with my unbelief. I don't believe. Help me to believe. So many times knowing all we know about Jesus, we still refuse to believe what's right in front of our faces. We need to take the attitude of this father here, and say, God, help us to believe. We know that the scripture says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without this belief like this, it's impossible to please God. It doesn't say that it's difficult. It doesn't say that it's unlikely. It says that it is impossible to please God. So when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he's talking to this father, he is saying, all you have to do is believe. And the father says, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. Let's keep reading and see how Jesus responds to the faith of the Father here. When Jesus saw a crowd running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. So here's the miracle. Jesus responds to the faith of this father and casts out the demon and raises the boy up. This validates his own power as God and it validates the claims that he's making of himself as the son of man. He's standing before the people. They're believing him. They believed him as a prophet. They believed him as a teacher. They believed him as the Messiah last week as we talked about. And he's proving once again that he is not who they thought he was going to be. They thought he was going to come riding in and lead the armies of Israel and put them back on top. They didn't think he was going to be a traveling street preacher, healing and serving and preaching about a heavenly kingdom. Once again, he is filling that phrase, Son of Man, with his own definition and his own context, helping them redefine in their own hearts who they thought Jesus was going to be, who they thought the Messiah was going to be. And as he redefines that for them, you'll see them begin to move towards that Belief, at least a little bit. Verses 28 and 29. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, and he said, this kind can only come out by prayer. And some translations say prayer and fasting. I think here, rather than a moment of calling them out here for their unbelief or lack of prayer, he's teaching them how to cast out demons. This is a biblical principle about not only how to cast out principles, but about prayer and about the value and the importance of prayer. Listen to what the Bible says in 1 John five fourteen and 15 about approaching God and about prayer. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have done what we asked of him. Prayer is such a quiet act. You know, and they thought the Messiah, again, as we've mentioned several times today, and I feel like I keep drilling this point, but they thought the Messiah was going to be a conquering king. And so, like, for him to say, the most important thing you can do is to pray. Like, to them, like, they thought he was going to come in with a sword, but instead he says, no, we're not going to take up our swords. We're going to get on our knees and we're going to talk to God. So this picture is a totally different thing for them than they thought that Jesus was going to be. And so what Jesus continues to show them is that the suffering servant, Not the conquering king Messiah is the one they're looking for. This one who heals the sick. The one who raises the dead. The one who lives among the people. The one who travels and preaches. This is the Messiah that they've been looking for. One that values prayer more than battle. One that, that believes in faith more than power. Listen here. More than political power. Listen here as we finish up this main passage in verse 30 and 32. They left that place and passed through Galilee. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching his disciples. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Okay, so maybe they didn't get it. Um, So again, after this great healing, he escapes the crowd and again, not wanting people to mount an army, he wants to teach this in this moment. He wants to teach them about who the Messiah is. And so he escapes to this, this anonymous place and in this into hiding and to redefine to his disciples. Again, like for the hundredth time, what it means to be the suffering servant, what it means to be the Messiah that they're really looking for, the Son of Man. And they still don't get it. Like they have seen the Mount of Transfiguration. They have seen... Um, Jesus raised people from the dead. They have seen him heal the blind. They have seen him feed the thousands. They have seen him cast out demons. They have seen so much. And yet when Jesus says, hey, listen guys, listen. I need you to hear me like I'm going to die. Like I'm going to have to die and be and rise from, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again. Like, you need to get this. You need to understand this. I know this is not what you want to believe, and so I'm just going to keep saying it over and over again until you believe me. You ever do that with your kids or with another person? Like, so you just keep speaking. You say, maybe one day it will just click and connect. And I think Jesus here is saying, maybe one day, maybe this will click and connect. And remember the father from earlier, the one in the desperate moment with his son? Jesus called him out on his unbelief, and he responds by asking Jesus to help his unbelief. He had nothing to lose in that moment of desperation. The disciples saw this interaction. They saw the formula. So they said, okay, if I don't believe, if I'm having trouble believing, then all I need to do is ask. Okay, so if Jesus says something and I don't get it, I need to just believe. Because when this father believed, when this father believed what Jesus had said, his son was healed. When the father came to him in that moment of desperation and believed when Jesus told him to, he was healed. Okay, so when Jesus tells us something, here's what we need to do, we, and we don't understand it or we don't like it, we just need to ask him. That's all he says to do is to ask him. And yet, it says here, like this is crazy to me, it says, and they were afraid, they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. You know, Jesus has clearly painted this picture over and over again. The Son of Man and his role as Messiah must suffer, be rejected and killed. And he's told them over and over again. And we all like the disciples have this have these misconceptions about Jesus that we bring to the table. We project on him what our parents believe, what we were raised with, how we live our own lives. We come in and we say, Jesus, I'm I'm going I believe that you're the Messiah. I really do. Like I believe that you you died for my sins and I believe you rose again and I believe that you are the Messiah. But here's the deal, Jesus. Like, when you say things I don't like, I'm going to just rebuke you. And when you, I'm going to live my life in such a way that rebukes you. Or when it doesn't when it doesn't go like I think it's going to go, I'm just going to wallow in this and do my own thing because I don't understand. Like, that's really tempting to do and that's really tempting to see. And like, when you look at, when I look at my life, I see that in my life, that sometimes I just leave Jesus by the wayside, when what he teaches or what he says about himself, what I know about his character, doesn't match what I I feel like is happening in that moment. Does that make sense? Does that connect with you guys? And so, like, I know that, like, when the disciples are in this moment, they're struggling, and Jesus knows they're struggling, and we all have those moments of struggle, and for the disciples... It took their own moment of desperation when Christ finally died. I don't think most of them really got it until it was finally over. Like, I really don't. Until Jesus died, I don't think they really thought it was going to happen. But it took that desperate moment for them to realize that Jesus was indeed the suffering servant, the son of man that he proclaimed to be. One who lived a perfect life as a man. One who was tempted in all ways as we were and didn't sin. One who didn't come as a conquering king but as a suffering servant one who is fully God with the power to heal the sick and raise the dead, but most importantly, the power to defeat sin and defeat death by his own death and resurrection. And we know that. And here's the beautiful thing for us. We have the entirety of Scripture to look at, the, a benefit the disciples did not have. We can look at the prophecies and the Gospels and see who Jesus is. We can look at the disciples' struggles and be encouraged today. Guys, don't wait for that moment of desperation to believe what Jesus says about himself. Don't wait for that rock bottom moment to say, okay, this is when I'm going to start believing who Jesus is. You know, the father, it was a last ditch effort to say, Jesus, help my son. And for the disciples, they didn't realize who Jesus was until after he had died. Guys, don't wait for that moment to believe what Jesus said about himself. Don't wait For that to reach out and say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to believe what you say. And not only am I going to believe what you say, but I'm going to live that out in my life. All we have to do is believe in the Son of Man. You look at all the doubt the disciples had. You look at all that they walked through. You look at all the struggles that these guys had all throughout their ministry and their walk with Jesus. And yet Jesus still used them to build the entire church Peter denied Jesus three times right at you know and he still used him to be the rock on which he built his church so when you go through moments of struggle and you don't believe who Jesus says he is look at the disciples be encouraged and say Jesus help my unbelief let's pray God uh, we thank you for this opportunity to look at your scriptures God I pray for each and every person here God I don't know what what everybody brought into the room God but you but you truly do and God so I know there are those that are struggling today with unbelief there are those in the room that that may not even have that relationship with you God and I pray for those that don't know you that don't have that relationship with you God that they wouldn't be able to leave this room until they got that straight. They wouldn't be able to rest until they know that you are the one true God. That you are the Messiah. That you did bridge that gap between us and God. And God, for those of us that do know you this morning. Those of us that, whether we've known you a long time or, or just a little while. God, I pray that we would believe what we've seen you do in our lives. And we'd believe in who you say you are. We would believe in your character today, God. And we would step out in faith because of that belief, God, and in moments of struggle, those are going to be there. I pray that we would have the boldness and have the courage to say, hey, I need help. Help me to believe, Jesus. God, I pray for those in those desperate moments, God. We thank you that you are a God that reaches out in desperate moments. God, for those that are in those desperate moments, God, I pray that you would reach out, touch them, speak to them, and they would do business with you in these moments. God, we ask all this in your name.